Welcome to Executives Unpacked, bringing you inspiration from the boardroom. A series of interviews with key and senior executives from throughout the content media, satellite and news space, connectivity and cybersecurity industries. Brought to you by Newco Global Executive Search. Welcome to Executives Unpacked. I'm John Clifton, co-founder and director at Newco, and we're delighted to be joined today by Jean-Francois Pigeon, EVP Global Sales and Marketing at Cinemedia. Starting his career at Newbridge Networks in Canada over 20 years ago, Jean-Francois has made a name for himself in being able to accurately understand and anticipate market developments and adapt business strategies accordingly. In his previous role at Nokia, he served as VP of Sales, overseeing 200 million euros worth of global accounts spread across 20 countries in the Middle East and Africa, where he played a major role in the company's expansion into the broadband and fiber to the home space. Now with Cinemedia, he leads their global sales and marketing function, responsible for developing business and new customer segments throughout Asia, EMEA and the Americas. He's a man who nearly decided to become a lawyer, would love to own his own winery and wishes he still had the innocence of youth. Welcome to the show, Jean-Francois. Thank you, John. So our new series, Executives Unpacked, is all about giving our listeners deep insight into some key leadership learnings from our guests. But before we dive into our six core questions, let's go back to the beginning. So Jean-Francois, how did you get into the telco and media industry? Uh, I got into the telecom industry through my studies, actually. First, I wanted to be a software engineer. And uh, then I spent a lot of time in front of a computer all day long. And I figured, yeah, not enough interactions in that. And I decided that maybe, you know, more of a customer facing role uh, would be interesting. And so uh, in the early 2000s, end of 90s, actually, I ended up going to Hong Kong to do business development for a product line that I helped develop. And very quickly, I, I became uh, head of broadband access in Asia. And funny enough, Asia at the time with South Korea was leading um, the development of broadband. And everybody was asking, you know, what do you need broadband for? Uh, you know, to put things in context, when I was in Hong Kong, I had two phone lines, one for my voice call, the other one to be connected to the company intranet, if you could call it this way, um, to be able to be connected to the corporate network. Um, and this was the time of Napster where, you know, people were starting to share music in digital form and, you know, they loved the quality of this com compared to the cassette tapes. And while I was trying to sell broadband products, I realized that the use case for the use of broadband was media. So, and that the media industry and the telecom industry really didn't understand one another. Um, the telecoms guys would say, yeah, you can use my network, just pay me for the bits and bytes you're going to consume. And the media guy said, well, maybe you can use my content, but first you need to protect it, DRM, digital rights management. And second, um, you know, you're going to need to pay me for it because, you know, content is king. And so I figured, wow, this is going to be quite interesting to get this going. So I created an industry forum called the Telecom Media Convergence Forum, which we have across the region where we had CXOs from across all industries getting together to talk about uh, issues pertaining to telecom uh, media convergence. And uh, so that was a really fun time. Interestingly enough, as you just said, you know, throughout my career, I was always somewhat involved with broadband and now coming to the media and entertainment side with Cinemedia has been a very interesting journey because it's an industry we, call, we can all relate to as consumers. And it's a fascinating industry because the stakes are high and you know, it's, it, it's a fun industry. Yeah, it really is. And, and we'll, we'll 
we'll come back to the content and media industry um, shortly. Uh, but let's dive into the first of our um, six core questions. So what is the biggest lesson that you've learned during your career? Um, ignorance is bliss. Uh, you know, it's good to be young, naive, because you don't know what's not possible. You have no limits. You have no constraints. You don't understand what's not achievable, and you're willing to try it. Um, I used to have a leader of mine, Mark Shannon, early in my career, who said, you know, Jeff, I have a great learning experience for you. And this was called for, I've got this shitty job I don't want to do, and I'll hand it over to you. But, you know, I was naive and, 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 and willing to, to go for it. And, and I think, you know, this thing about ignorance is bliss. And the, the, the recent quote from that, this comes from The Matrix, uh, where Cypher is having a stake in a virtual reality that he knows is a virtual reality. And he says, you know what? I know this isn't real. I know that when I put it in my mouth, it's the matrix telling me that, you know, it's a gorgeous, beautiful steak. But at the end of the day, you know what? After nine years of the matrix, I realize ignorance is bliss. So, and, you know, red pill, blue pill, do you want your real life that has adversity, et cetera? Do you want the, the, uh, the virtual world, which is all good and everything? I think, you know, there is something to ignorance is bliss. And by the way, ignorance is bliss goes all the way back to uh, Publicius Cyrus in 85-43 BC, who said it, he said, uh, in knowing nothing, life is most delightful. Uh, he also had sayings like honor among thieves, et cetera. And at the end of the day, I think this is the key is being able to approach life without fear and without putting constraints that we put on ourselves is really, you know, I think the most important thing, keeping that youth and approach throughout life, I think is very important. All right, well, that's a fantastic answer to our, to our first question and, and moving straight to our second. Um, throughout your career, is there something that you wish that someone had told you earlier? Yes, um, I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer by training, so I'm quite structured, organized, uh, rational. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the, the, the drawback of engineers is you look, you take things too literally. And um, the one lesson I've learned is one that says, uh, you know, it's important to always assume a positive intent when you interact with people. Because the fact that you assume a positive in intent changes your whole demeanor to the situation and it changes the outcome of the situation. If you take it negatively, you're probably going to be angry. You're probably going to be defensive. You're probably going to not listen enough. And, and when you assume positive intent, basically the message you're sending is, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. I'm, I'm listening to you. And maybe there's something I'm not hearing in what you're saying. And that's a very powerful statement. And I, I heard that from uh, Indra Nui, the, the, the chairman and CEO of Pepsi-Cola. And I think I've found that in my life and my experience, having that attitude to engagement with different stakeholders changes everything. So in some ways, the way you look at things influences the outcome of the situation. And I wish I had been told that earlier. Mm, I think that's a really, that's a really insightful point because it's very easy, particularly with experience, to go into certain conversations and uh, activities with a negative mindset because you've been there, seen it all before, and you know what the outcome is going to be. So there's a slight sense in, you know, trying to essentially put off 
the inevitable and basically shut down the idea or the conversation or whatever the case may be. But I think that's a fascinating idea to 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 lead with being more positive and and you know if that comes to a more positive outcome fantastic if it leads others to understanding why something couldn't work then that's also a really positive outcome as well yeah and and i find and, and I, I and i'm not making this up i find that you know if you consciously walk in tough discussions and negotiations with that mindset actually it get it's it transpires like there's a saying right if you go on a call even if you're on a call and you're smiling you're you're talking you're walking you're smiling it changes the way it's perceived yet people don't see you they it so imagine if smiling or walking while you're having a call impacts someone who doesn't see you imagine walking in a meeting with a mindset of you know i'm going to assume good intent the power it has and my experience in you know, given the nature of my role, sales, which is negotiation, my experience in having that mindset is it truly materializes in positive outcomes. Yeah, no, that's yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So, um, bringing it slightly more broadly back to your um, back to your career, um, I wondered is there is there a particular thing or a particular person that's had the biggest influence on you? I I was thinking I, I was thinking about that. Uh, I suspected you might ask me that. Actually, I have quite a few people who, at different stages of my career, have brought me uh, something. I think one of the the earliest one was Ibrahim Gideon, today's CTO of Telus in Canada. Um, he was running the Ottawa chapter of the IEEE, and at the time, I was a student involved in uh, the the student chapter of the IEEE, uh, the Institute of Electronics and Electrical Engineers. And we were organizing a conference every year, the Student Professional Awareness Conference, kind of introducing students to what it's like to go in a professional world. And at the time, again, you know, have no fear, uh, etc. I decided we were going to organize this on Parliament Hill. And I decided that we were going to have the most famous guy in town, Terry Matthews, to come to the conference. Um, and I just went for it. And it happened. It was on Parliament Hill. And Terry Matthews did come, which kind of rallied a lot of people. And to that day, Ibrahim took me under his wings and said, JF, we can do great things together. So Ibrahim was the first to, to do that. Uh, then I had a, a gentleman whom I'm lear I've learned a lot from, Jerome Albert, who kind of brought me into the marketing. I kept on saying, oh, our marketing sucks. It's all about technology. We need to work about use cases, etc." He said, JF, come and fix the problem. Then I went to uh, work with Stephen Carter, who joined Alcatel-Lucent after the merger in, in 2009 and kind of took me as his uh, right-hand man. And one of the reasons he took me in is I was, you know, uh, from the French side, you know, engaged on the French side, from the American side, Lucent, also Canadian, English speaking, etc. So I was kind of, I think, a good bridge between the two. I learned a lot about Stephen about, you know, how how do you do transformation? Because that's what he was brought in to do. He was running strategy marketing company. He had to, as he said, shapeshift the company. How do you go about transforming companies? How do you go about doing this positively? How do you make sure people kind of by the vision and then, you know, the motions you're going to go through in order to deliver the vision. So I learned a tremendous amount from Stephen. Um, and then, you know, uh, when I joined Nokia, Ashish Chowdhury took me under his wings for a similar reason. I'll get the Lucent, Nokia, et cetera. I learned a tremendous amount from Nokia. Nokia was extremely disciplined, structured and organized in the way they did things, people, process tools, et cetera. So I learned a lot from Ashish about you know what it meant to lead a 5,000 people sales organization um, and you know how you transform that uh, to be a, a better fighting machine in a very competitive environment. 
Um, so those are some of the people that I've had. The, and I would like to mention also Martin Jordy, who took me back in APAC, uh, and I was a psychic to try to, to, to go through different market segments. So all of these people have, at different points in my career, helped me get a different way of doing things that I think, you know, at different times in my, in my experience, when I'm faced with different situations, I go, I, and I do that. I say, oh, thank you, Stephen, for giving me this advice. Thank you, Jerome, for giving me this advice. So I, I, I consciously thank these people for giving me that, that, that perspective on how to approach different complex issues. Oh, that's great that you've got so many. And, and are, there, um, are there common themes between those people or, or were they the classic just different things at different times that that facilitated different um different needs at that point in your career good question i think i think that the common thing would be all of these individuals were fantastic people leaders uh and uh so from and each of them for cultural reasons for 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 different reasons approached it differently but they were all great leader people uh and so i think particularly back to my engineer thing, you know, I'm, I, I think there's a lot of soft skills I had to learn in terms of, you know, how do you manage organizations? How do you, how do you, how do you give, uh, you know, an opportunity for people to develop, to, 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 um, to blossom? And, and how do you, how do you motivate people to do that, to go beyond the, you know, how do you get people to, to put in the extra mile that's good for them, but also good for the organization, all of that. So that's the common thread is there were great leaders of people. Uh, but why I mentioned all of them is they're all different because they all approached it differently. And I think that's the richness of the experience that I've had the, the fortune to get. And, and, and to be honest, across cultures, you can't always do things the same way. So it's very important to, to be sensitive to that and adapt to the circumstances. Yeah, completely agree. Um, and we, we spoke a bit earlier um, around what you, you sort of you wish that you'd been um, told or explained a little bit um, earlier in, in, in life. But I was curious to know whether there was one single um, thing that you could highlight as the best bit of advice that you've ever been given. Yes, it came from Myril Dutré, the late Myril Dutré, unfortunately. Uh, Myril Dutré was our HR uh, partner in mobile communications group in Alcatel. And he was a true, you know, he was truly invested in the development of uh, senior leaders in Alcatel. And the thing he told me is, JF, you have to be authentic. And this was exactly the right thing for him to tell me at the time, because I have to admit, back to my starting point, which is, you know, don't be afraid, go for it, uh, you know, uh, ignorance is bliss. Um, I was a bit arrogant. I was a bit, uh, I was a little bit pushy. I was a little bit persistent. I, I didn't, I guess I, I was a bit, um, uh, I don't know if I could say diamond in the rough, but I was really rough around the edges. Let me frame it this way. And, and, and I don't think, you know, I, I necessarily always conveyed the right vibe uh, in, in the context of my engagement with peers and colleagues. And, and when Muriel came and said, you know, be authentic and, and, and kind of helped me understand what that meant in the way you work and the way you interact with others and the way it, it really, really, really 
helped set me on a path to change the way I acted in the context of moving from an individual contributor to a people leader. And, and then, you know, what you had to, to be and to convey and to, yeah, to be at the end of the day, to be able to do that. Mm, that's really good advice. I think it's so easy to feel that you need to play the part of the person that you think you should be playing. Um, and at some point that that really does begin to come across. And at a certain point, you have the experience necessary to be authentic. Um, but I think it's a delicate balance because until sometimes, until a certain point, you do kind of need to fake it until you make it. And so there is a there's a point at which that authenticity really needs to shine through. And I think you just nailed it, John. I think when you're young, you're a bit insecure, you want to prove yourself to yourself first and to the rest of the world. You're out there, you're bold, you're, you're you know, you're brash, you're, you're, you're trying to, to differentiate. Especially in sales. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and then, you know, it's only later that you realize, yeah, you know, what's acceptable when you're young uh, may not be as acceptable later in life. And, and yeah. that authenticity point, particularly as, as, as you, as you, um, as you start having a lot more exec engagements is super important. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so let's talk a bit about the, um, the tech industry and especially uh, content and media. What's exciting you most about where the industry is headed? Well, so first of all, I'm thankful for the fact that this interview is taking place now because it makes it a lot easier to talk to this point. Um, because where we are as an industry is that there's been this shift towards streaming, video on demand, et cetera, and everybody's talking about that. But, you know, COVID has been like uh, cocaine for the industry because basically everybody was stuck at home and there was a massive change in behavior and adoption of these services uh, stimulated by the fact that, you know, this was the one of the best things to do when you're stuck at home is to watch video. Um, and so there's been this big change of behavior toward from linear TV to streaming, and there was a massive growth in subscribers. And, you know, the saying that, you know, when the tide rises, all the boats rise has been the case for the industry. Today, um, the tide is receding, and we're seeing a lot of naked legs and maybe other things with people without their underwear on. And it's, um, this is where we're going to see, we're going to be able to sift through you know who who's got it right and who doesn't because it's easy to rise when the tide is rising but today the reality of the market context massive inflation uh basically you know end users having a limited capacity to spend more uh having too many potential subscriptions and too many choices and spending too much time searching etc makes it so that we're kind of reached a saturation point of subscriber growth and we need to find new relays of growth. And, and from an industry perspective, the things that were like sacred, we're never going to do. Netflix in April announced, you know, ah, we're going to look at, uh, you know, credential sharing, password sharing, and what we're going to do about that. Uh, well, <laughs> I can say when I joined Cinemedia back in 2020, we had that and I tried to pitch it. Nobody cared because to be honest, at the time, subscribers were growing. Who cares about this? This is marketing. Um, same thing with anti-piracy. Anti-piracy is uh, something that, you know, while there was subscriber growth, et cetera, who cares? But now that premium content is going first on OTT, 
with stuff like uh, pre, you know, original releases going on on video on demand services rather than cinema theaters, etc. Live sports going to OTT, and you know, think about it. Live sports is a perfect content for linear TV because it's real time, live, etc. The fact that you're taking that and you're putting it on an on demand service is a bit counterintuitive. But today we saw it three weeks ago in India with the IPL rights, actually. You know, uh, Reliance Joe uh, Viacom 18 spent more money on OTT rights for the football uh, for the IPL rights than was spent on broadcast. It's it's mind-boggling, mm -hmm. um, and and they paid 3.1 billion dollars for that. That it's really it's massive, and they did that because it's going to drive subscriber growth. So the traditional way to drive growth, and the other thing that as a result of the, the you know the the cap in subscriber growth that's coming to the fore is advertising funded. To be honest, media and entertainment has always been advertising funded. Newspapers, magazines, radio, TV, it's always been advertising funded. So the fact that we're going back to those basics and saying, hey, you know, advertising and targeted advertising is, is important. To me, it's all good and it's all healthy. Uh, and, and that's what I'm excited about is that you, subscriber growth was great, but it was a bit like cocaine and, and COVID held that along. And today, you know, the reality is we've consumed a lot of the content. There's a lot of new content required. We need to fund that. Netflix is spending 17 billion on new content. That's a lot of money. Uh, so if you're gonna do that, you need to protect it. Anti-piracy becomes important. If you pay 3.1 billion for, for matches, which is more than 13 million per match, 13 million per match, guess what? You're going to want to protect it. Anti-piracy becomes important. So it, it's forcing the industry to look at what is the right business model, what are the right means to do that, and that's a healthy place to be. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think that it's, um, you know, having been in the industry, well, you know, 13, 14 years now, I, I think it's, I think we're at a really exciting chapter. Um, I really do. I think they, I completely agree. I think the the COVID angle has, I guess, exposed two things, like huge amounts of opportunity, but also huge flaws that come with growth. Um, and I think that next um, that next chapter of, of how that is navigated, um, I think is just fascinating beyond everything to do with the power of video. So um, yeah, exciting times for the industry for sure. Uh, and challenging times because the, at the end of the day, it's a competitivity issue, and and you know the mo the model that was sustainable at a time where all you're spent on entertainment was just on video on demand services is kind of over. And so today, you need to address this market in a in a way that either increases revenues, reduce costs. You, you need to be much more economically driven about how you do that. And these are tough discussions. And so the way you as a company set up to be able to address that so you know city media we're we're pivoting from what i would i would position as a high hand fashion designer you know oh we're going to make a suit that's going to make you look great to maybe more ready to wear off the rack uh, type clothing is very important and so for us that's the pivot to multi-tenant SaaS and how we're going to leverage that to accelerate the pace of innovation and be more cost effective and scale down the 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 applicability of what we do to uh, you know, uh, basically service providers with a much smaller subscriber base than, you know, a million or nothing uh, or above. So, so I think it, ch it changes 
the economics and, and the way you need to address the industry. And that the reality is for any service provider, there's real tough questions to answer. And to be honest, I think it's going to sort out, you know, uh, Darwin's going to be at play in terms of who survives this in the current context. I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, so bring it back to your, um, to your experiences. Um, is there one thing that's constantly kept you awake at night throughout your career? Well, yes, doing the right thing. Uh, meeting my commitments and adding value. Because the thing is, I've, I've worked a lot in emerging markets and in emerging markets, how would I frame it? The, 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 the legal system isn't necessarily there to protect uh, things in an impartial way as it would in other places. And as a result of this, trust is very important. Um, and what is valued in, in the relationship and the transaction is the trust that I have in you. And are you going to be there to ensure that you deliver on my expectations? And, you know, uh, to use an analogy in my previous experience in the Middle East Africa, for the first year I was in the role, I, I kept on getting beaten up because we weren't delivering up to the expectation uh, in a whole mobile network renewal, very complex uh, to do. But the fact that I kept on showing up every month and get beaten up and, and, and ultimately, you know, mobilize the organization to deliver what it transpired into is over time i build trust because i kept on showing up and you know if you keep on showing up despite the fact that you're being beaten up ultimately whether you like it or not that person earns your trust and i think so the thing that keeps me up at night is exactly that is that you know i'm in a sales role my job is to sell but i'm a big believer in win-win outcomes and so if i commit to something to somebody my word is my bond and ma making sure that we meet the commitments I've made and that we keep on constantly adding value is, uh, is, is really what keeps me up at night. All right, very good. Um, and it may be a similar answer to this one, given how passionately you just spoke about that uh, particular answer, but lots of execs I speak with can pinpoint a variety of different reasons why they've had success. But I'm curious as to whether people can identify a single thread that has run through their career that's led to success. So I wondered if there had been for you. I think you might have a guess at what that might be. Um, it goes back to my original statement about uh, ignorance is bliss, is living with passion. Uh, at the end of the day, going forward, being curious, doing something we're passionate about, uh, looking for, as I said, long-term win-win outcomes, um, you know, there was a statement I read once, your career is long and the business world, world is small. And I think this is, this is the key, right? Uh, acting with integrity, uh, you know, spending a lot of time with customers, understanding. At the end of the day, to win in today's world requires you to be fully engaged, listening, trying to add value. Uh, and it, it, it's, really, it's really about doing that and transpiring that in your day-to-day -day interaction. So, so for me, you know, being passionate about what you do is essential because guess what? To compete today, you need, um, you need to put in a lot of effort. You need to be keeping abreast. You need to understand what's going on. You need to be responsive. That's, that's a lot of energy. That's a lot of investment you're going to make. So if you don't love what you do, if you're not passionate about what you do, man, it's going to be a real drudgery to, to, to just get through it. So unless you're doing something you're passionate about, well, life will be tough or you're just going to make do. But if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to have fun, if you really want to have an impact, and if you really want to uh, 
um, enjoy what you do, then you better be passionate about what you do and, and go all out. Love it. Uh, very good. So uh, so before we um, head to our final question, um, let's just dive into a, a short, quick fire round to let people know a little bit more about you. Um, so we've just got six questions here. Uh, firstly, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? Huh. Um, well, Paris is not a bad place to be. That's where I live. Uh, but I think if I project forward, um, Thailand is probably one of the places I'm looking to retire at. I, the people are super friendly. The food is fantastic. The weather. So, so Thailand might be one of those. Or in Europe, it would be Tenerife, but not the south that most people know, the north, which is extremely uh, cultural, great wineries. There's a team there, uh, particularly with the volcanic island. The wines there are fantastic, great food. People are very friendly. They're outdoorsy. So, yeah, I think uh, as I project forward, Thailand or, or Tenerife might be uh, places I look at. Very nice. And a similar uh, question, but potentially a different answer. What is your family uh, favorite vacation? <laughs> I think we're going back to that. So this summer I'm going to Thailand uh, with my family, <laughs> uh, very much in keeping with what I just said. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Very good. And uh, and what makes you laugh the most? Uh, myself. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm. I make lots of mistakes, and sometimes like, oh, you're such an idiot. But uh, yes, no, uh, there's that. There's the circumstances at work. I, I think the, I, I laugh most under um, stressful situation, and I think this is a very important point: is humor is an extremely powerful uh, form of release when you're under stress and you're under uh, maybe even negative circumstances. I think humor can do a lot to to unlock situations. Hundred percent humor can humor can solve an awful lot of things. Um, keeping it content related, um, what was the last uh, movie um, or box set that you watched? Well, so this was this weekend. My son, I just put my son on the plane uh, last night to go to Asia, uh, and uh, so Sunday night we went to see Buzz Lightyear, uh, which was to, meant to be a feel good movie about you know about things and it was good and then before that we went to see maverick uh top gun uh which was also an awesome movie yeah very good very good um and what is your favorite game or sport to watch or play um to do scuba diving skiing i like technical sports so so yeah skiing scuba diving uh uh, I used to do windsurfing. Um, these are the things I, I like to do. I'm not. I'm more of a someone who likes to do sports than somebody who likes to watch sports. Um, I'm very much the same. Very much the same. Um, and lastly, in this quick fire round, um, if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? <sighs> the easy answer is pizza because you can adapt it to so many things. <laughs> uh, if I could pick. A, uh, but otherwise, I'd say uh, Thai food. Excellent. All right. Very good. Um, so that brings us to our final question. What one bit of advice do you always give other people? Go for it. Yes, you can. Uh, it's in keeping with my passion team is uh, instead of striving for a predictable, safe lifestyle, 
have faith and trust that life is a glorious adventure and live it to the fullest. So again, passion, 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 get interested in what's going on, try to understand uh, the implications of what's going on in the world, not just in your domain, but, you know, macroeconomics impact you, geopolitics impacts you, uh, you know, get interested, try to understand, try to have different grids to read the world. I mean, I'll give you an anecdote, uh, which I applied to myself, is that, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of geopolitics playing out in Middle East and Africa, and particularly after my Asian experience, and I, I, and I, I, I was, um, I was uh, impacted by that, let me frame it this way. And I, I was so frustrated by that, that. I said, I need to understand better. So I went to the School of Economic Warfare last year. I did my exec MBA in economic warfare. And it was so stimulating. It was so, um, you know, the, the ways of looking at things, the, the different, you know, understanding what's going on, what's at play, what's the undertone, what's the history of that, what's playing at that. I think it's so important to, to, to be switched on to the world and to be, because then in your conversations, in your discussions and the way you engage, um, you know, that's so important. And so that leads me then to, you know, I think when you look at a career, you, you, you have to not look at it as a linear progression. Don't be afraid to take horizontal steps versus vertical steps. I think too often people are worried about, you know, promotions, et cetera. To be honest, it, it, this is not the way to do to be better. It's not the way to do things because you know then you go into Peter's principle. You get elevated to your highest level of incompetence. I think you know taking the, the road least travel, not playing by the rules is important uh, because if you play by the rules, the path is very crowded. And if you follow the if you if you play by the rules, you're following the pack. If you follow the pack, you're a follower. So don't be a follower, be a leader. And be a leader means you take a different path. And I'll give you an example. When I started my career, I decided to go on the manufacturing floor first. So most people after their degree didn't go there. They went into R&D, product management. I said, no, I want to start there because I want to understand how products are made, designed for testability, designs for manufacturability. Then I went to product management. Then I decided to go to Hong Kong at a time where everybody was going to the US. There was a brain drain from Canada to the US. Everybody was going to the US. I said, you know what? No, I'm going to go to Asia because Asia is different. Um, and my whole career is made like I was making conscious choices not to follow the, the, the herd. So my adv best advice to the others is you want to have fun. You want to differentiate yourself. You want to have a unique career. Don't get stuck in the, the world's definition of what success looks like get exposed to the world, get out there, learn, look at different cultures, look at different ways of doing things, like get, be interested. And I think that's really, and then you can only do that again if you're passionate about what you do. Fabulous advice. And thank you so much for your time, Jean-Francois. It was really great to hear your thoughts and insight and just an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation, John. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more. For more information about Nuco Global Executive Search, we can be found at executive.nuco-group.com. That's executive.neuco-group.com.